Australia. Quake Cooper for the win. It's on its way. It's on its way. It's gone. Quake Cooper is the man. Hello and welcome to the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Now, this is the second episode for the week, which is very exciting. We do have a lot of content coming and we just don't have enough weeks before Super Rugby Pacific starts to do one episode a week. So, this is the Brumbies episode. This is the second episode of the week. And we will have another one out on Monday as well. So, very exciting. We're basically just giving our fans as much rugby content as they need, they want, and they deserve. So, I am joined currently with Ando. How are you, Ando? Tops, mate. Good to be here. Good to see you. Everything is great. And Rev is with us in spirit. As I said before, this is the Brumbies preview episode. So, we have an amazing interview coming up with Laurie Fisher. Ando got to sit down with him a few days ago and have a massive chat, which I'm very much looking forward to listening to. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but it's going to be great. Uh, and then after the chat with Laurie, we will go into our previews for this, the season for the Brumbies. And we were joined by Rev in that as well. Ando, you run us through our socials for those who are new to the pod. So social platforms, Instagram, hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby, Facebook, pick and drive rugby podcast, and then Twitter, at pick underscore drive rugby. And in some ways I apologize in advance because I got a bit starstruck chatting with Laurie and we just we just spoke about rugby for ages and I had a wide variety of questions that came in from a wide variety of sources. So it meant that we covered a lot of topics in a decent amount of detail. It wasn't like a all-in dive into coaching. It wasn't an all-in dive into kind of the impact of overseas competitions on Australian rugby. We touched on a lot of topics. So it was really, really fun. Thank you so much to Laurie Fisher for being so generous with his time. It was a lot of fun. So a couple of other things we did want to mention, we have already released our Queensland Reds episode. And after that was released, there was the announcement that Liam Wright and Tate McDermott are the co-captains of the Queensland Reds for 2022. Huge oh, don't forget, if you ask him himself, Taniela Tupo is also in that This that is category. true. <laughs> this is very true. I think maybe he's like the kind of spiritual captain. or He's the like surrogate that. baby of those two captains. What? <laughs> I wonder what a baby. <laughs> Let's do some Facebook uh, Photoshop thing between Liam Wright and Tate McDermott and see what a baby would come out as. Um, but on, I'm, I doubt it would be like Daniela Tupo. <laughs> Coming on from that point, uh, quick, quick question. Uh, do you think it was the right decision for Jock to not seek the captaincy, James O'Connor to not seek the captaincy in 2022? Do you think it's a good call that they've gone with continuing with Liam and then elevating uh, Tate McDermott up? Yeah, I, I do. I think James O'Connor struggled last year towards the end of Trans-Tasman with that, and and even actually not Trans-Tasman, Super Rugby AU, before Liam came back with that leadership. Um, he looked calm and composed, as he does, but I think inside he probably wasn't quite ready for it, and he just needs to focus on his own game. We even saw going into the Wallabies later in the year that he wasn't really at 100% with that, and he picked up a few injuries again. So I think that he's just focusing on himself for this year and wants to get him, himself and his body right for 2023 for that World Cup. 
and he's happy to let some other players, some younger players take the, own, the leadership as well. I think it's also probably a succession plan as well. I don't mm. know if James O'Connor will be hanging around Ballymore much longer than 2023. So I can definitely see Tate McDermott and Liam Wright being there for the next five or six years. Yeah, that's a really good call. Uh, one of the things that Liam mentioned in our interview last week was that um, in a way, Jock is still looking to just kind of really nail down his understanding and play at 10 because he hasn't been a 10 for all of his career. And so this might well be an opportunity for him to just continue to get better down, further experience and just focus on the quality of his play and how that can best benefit the team. And And I'm sure he's going to be an experienced voice. I'm sure he's going to be providing guidance. Exactly. And if it works, then all for it. Excellent. Well, a couple of other things we wanted to let you know. The announcement about the fantasy draft rugby last week has been met with resounding success acclamations just letters carrier pigeons everything coming in left right and center marketing pigeons everything yep everything wanting to be a part of the competition and in a way i am sad to say that the draft competition is now full so thank you everybody for your interest We may look at trying to expand things in 2023, but considering this is our first year doing it, we wanted to keep things uh, condensed, simple, and effective. And then if, if anybody did miss out, we highly encourage you to keep an eye out for the Superbrew tipping competition, which will be coming out very soon. Superbrew are yet to update themselves for the Super Rugby Pacific competition, but it'll be coming out very, very soon. And, and just so a reminder to happens, fans as well with Superbrew that we do have the Pick and Drive Rugby Shield. So we, we have been, last year we inscribed the first, I think it was Liquor Box or Hair Red. Yep. They're the same person. Anyway, uh. um, <laughs> ha- took out 2021's, uh, tipping comp so his name is on the shield and so we will have someone else the winner for 2022 inscribed on that shield as well so yeah, definitely maybe we definitely another incentive to get involved fantasy trophy or so i don't know there's got to be something that you get for winning we'll, we'll, we'll talk that one through but either way get involved keep an eye out for that it's been a lot of fun and i don't think we should keep anybody waiting let's jump into the interview with laurie fisher awesome let's go let's go Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have with us today Laurie Fisher, assistant coach at the ACT Brumbies. Thank you so much for coming on board today, Laurie. It's a pleasure, Ando. Mate, uh, you are well-renowned within Australian rugby circles. I think most infamously for the bucket hat that you're sporting here today. Can you tell us a bit about it? Uh, why, why is it that you sport that on a daily basis, no matter where you are? Uh, well, it just it, it comes out of being sun smart originally. Like I got uh, I got pretty poor skin, so <laughs> it originally came from uh, zinc cream and, and a bucket hat to keep the sun away. And that, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, we played cricket as a kid. You know, as a PE teacher, so you're spending a lot of time outdoors. So mm-hmm. it's just to maximise my coverage. And then at some point in time, then it becomes a um, something that you're identified with. So <laughs> so I guess I guess go from there. But I do. It's, uh, it's just more sun smart than the caps. Mate, you're leading a great charge there. Well done. Well, why don't we jump into things and start chatting about Brumbies? I'd like to begin with kind of the 2021 season, if you don't mind. Um, so the Brumbies had a fantastic Super AU, except for maybe the last five minutes of every match against the Queensland Reds. Um, how do you guys reflect on the challenges of, or the success 
that you experienced in Super AU getting to the final versus the four and one record in Trans Tasman. There seemed to be a bit of a gulf in performance and a bit of a gulf in outcomes. Was there any reflection or conversation that went on to kind of discuss that challenge? Oh, look, there was a, a lot of reflection went on, you know, and comparing uh, our game as it, as it was against Australian sides and our game against the Kiwis and their games. So we, we spent a lot of time uh, looking at the, re-looking at the games, looking at them uh, visually, looking at them statistically, and, 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 and came up with, with definitely with things that we need to change in our game. And um, if I can just reflect back on the Reds games mm. first, like I, I really felt that the difference between the, the two sides in all three games was, was Taniel Atupo and his capacity to, uh, to, to uh, win penalties from scrum. And I, I think we lost all three games uh, on the back of not being able to sustain a solid scrum throughout the game. And uh, I think, we, I think a lot, most other aspects of the game, I thought we, we, we met or surpassed them, but, but uh, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a game changer and a game winner. So... Uh, when we meet the Reds in 2022, that certainly that's that's front and centre is our most important challenge, I think. With regard to Trans-Tasman, um, it, it's definitely a, a different competition and, and there's, there's, there's quite a few things that we reflected on. Um, probably first and foremost was was just how we conditioned ourselves. I, I think we've done a lot of work into 2021 uh, just trying to improve our, I guess, our running capacity. But, but, but what the Kiwis do well is, is, it, is it that when there's a game-changing moment, they can take advantage of it. And, and we, just, we just didn't have the speed, power, the, uh, the, the high-level skill set. When, when there's a gap appeared or there was a threat to, to either take the opportunity or, or to snuff out the threat, and we were always just a little bit laboured and, and maybe a metre or two or a second two behind the New Zealanders. I also think we were hampered that Pete Samo didn't play any game time, Caden Neville didn't play, James Slipper didn't play and Jerome Brown didn't play. So they're, they're sort of four key fours, 50% mm. of your starting forward pack, not playing any of Trans-Tasman. And, and all those guys tackled between 92 and 100% in Super Rugby AU. So taking away a fair, a fair amount of tackle quality. But I also think... It, impacted heavily on our capacity to maul and defend mauls. And, and for a side that I think uh, conceded maybe one more try in, in 2020, no more tries in 1919, all of a sudden we've conceded one more try again yep. in Trans-Tasman. And I think we only scored, I, I think our maul conversion was quite poor in Trans-Tasman. And, and, and not only weren't we scoring tries, uh, more tries in Trans-Tasman, we didn't provide a nice square platform to play off. So, so there's, there's a lot of factors in play that, mm. that came into, into, into being off the pace uh, against the Kiwi sides. I'm not sure if it's as simple to extrapolate this um, kind of from the national team back down, but it was pretty easy to see on the Kiwi tour, summer tour up, or spring tour up north, that um, when they were playing against Ireland and France, the intense breakdown pressure that was placed upon the Kiwis there was really crucial to the opposition teams getting up over them. And do you think that that's somewhere that the Brumbies will need to be improving for 2022 to make sure that they are more competitive and being able to assert themselves more upon the Kiwis rather than standing back and trying to have that unbroken defensive line? 
there's no, no doubt about it that we've probably had a philosophy over the last two or three years of um, numbers on feet, filling the field, uh, connecting in D, um, uh, you know, taking as much line speed as we can together. But, but, but I think, I think uh, most quality teams you look at now have uh, got breakdown pressure from one through to 15. Mm. Uh, you, you, you've, you've got to be able to, to put pressure, force turnover, slow ball down legally. So um, the, you, you will see a, a, a marked change in policy uh, and hopefully effectiveness from the Brumbies because you, you're right, the, the, the good Kiwi sides, that even though you've got numbers on feet, they'll force the wrong decision. You'd be late to set. Uh, you might be loose on an edge because we're solving on an edge. So... Uh, like anything, you're better off going hard at source, putting pressure on their nine and ten, rather than trying to, to, to allow them to create yep. and solve the problem. So it's a change of mindset, a change of philosophy, and 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 I think a, a change of uh, breakdown contest philosophy needs to uh, reflect also a more line speed, being more aggressive at first receivers, uh, getting up high through the midfield, all those sorts of things that we that we need to 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 go from a, def- a connected defensive system to one that really puts pressure on. Excellent. Well, that's, I'm really excited to see that continue to develop then. Um, 2021 was a pretty breakout season for a, for a few players. You had Rob Valentini, who was able to just really nail down his spot in the Wallabies starting 15 after a, a wonderful season at the Brumbies. Uh, you have Lenny Ikitao, who's just got a mortgage on 13 at the Wallabies now, which is awesome to see. Uh, Nos Wanigan got into the squad as well, even though he's not my favourite Wanigan, which is Ryan. Um, but how did you see those fellows develop? Why do you think they were able to make such great strides, firstly during Super Rugby, but then into the Wallaby squad? Let's start with Bobby Valentini. Like Bobby's probably, um, I don't know, he was fourth season now. So, and 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 uh, I know back in uh, eighteen and nineteen, like he had sort of back to back, yeah, medial uh, medial knee problems. So he, he missed he missed a fair amount of time, and it's only in the last two seasons that he's really had consistent playing time, which comes off the back of consistent training time. And, 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 you know, like he came to us as a young man straight out of school. So uh, it's just, I think, with, with maturity, uh, he's always been physically mature. But, but, I, but I think just that, that uh, being a little bit more worldly, a little bit more um, comfortable in his own skin in, in, in a different environment. So, like, his, his carry game was superb. His, uh, his, his work rate for a big man, the line speed he brought in defence, so he had a really, really good year. Again, he's he's got room to move on around the, the breakdown and tackle contest area. But a super season for him. He's a big man, runs hard with oh, yeah. a good engine. Uh, look, Lenny's had a real break. It's his first year as a starting player. Uh, I think he played, I think he started every game for the Brumbies in 2021 and then and then uh, onto the Wallabies. So he, he's really had a really good year. Like in, in the shadow for two or three years of, uh, of Tavita. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's shown good patience. Uh, like he's always been a footballer that we've liked. Tremendous defender. He's just got, he's just a real natural, great feet. Um, but, but again, yeah, he comes down here out of school. Uh, I, I think it's something that the Brumbies do well is, is that they expose players when they're ready to perform. 
rather than expose players to fail. And I think Lenny and Bobby uh, are both great examples of that, 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 that we've been patient, they've been patient, they've worked hard. And when they've got their opportunity, they've been able to take it and excel. Um, yeah, it, it'll be different for Lenny coming back to Brumbies because yeah, he, does, he doesn't have the same players around him then. So oftentimes at that level, all you're expected to do is to play your part. And Lenny played his part exceptionally. But he, yeah, if he's got Sama Karevi inside him and he's got yeah, quality outside him, uh, there's probably more expected here now uh, as, a, as, a, as a, a guy that's shown himself to be a quality test player. So that then creates different pressures and tensions uh, in Lenny's head. But he's a really, really good player. But also like the fact we've got depth uh, around those positions this year yeah. you know, with um, Chris Fairway Sortia uh, joining us, with Ollie Sapton joining us, with Hudson Crichton joining us. So hopefully we're able to manage game time. We're able to make sure that there's enough pressure that guys have to get better. Yeah. And that's, that's been our, our message since the end of Trans-Tasman. We've got to be a better football football team and individuals have to be better. Uh, Nos Lonigan. Uh, again, uh, you know, he was he was exceptional in the Aussie 20 sides uh, that, that had uh, really, really good tournaments. Um, again, not a big man, uh, but really, like, he's a really good footballer. Like, his natural instincts on running lines, his, his skill through his hands. Uh, he's a good, solid defender, excellent line-out thrower. Yeah, his big work on because he's not a big body, is, is, is how, does he, how does he control that middle of the scrum? And, and when you've got tight heads, a la Tanya, Tanya Latupo, working hard onto the inside of the scrum, um, that, that's a huge growth area for him. Because he's not, he's not going to be 108, 110 kilos. He's going to be that low hundreds. And, and, and that, I think, across all rugby this year, that the scrum is still a telling part of the game. You can mm. control a game extensively through your capacity to scrummage. I think so. That was so important. We saw that, like you mentioned earlier, with the impact that Nella had in various games. Um, now, I've got a couple of questions here from one of my co-hosts who wasn't able to make it today. He was particularly interested in a couple of the ways in which kind of you manage the playing group within challenging situations. So if we look at those close losses to the Reds, um, how do you as a coach support players during those mid-season games where they've had the close loss and even with the grand final when it's been such a tight game that's won in the last minute by the opposition? How do you, do you let the players kind of mourn, feel that loss for a while and then speak to them the next day? Or are there messages that you're trying to communicate in that moment that they can hold on to moving forward? I'm personally uh, not a fan of trying to dissect the game in in, in a half hour to an hour after the game. I, I think I think it's it's got to settle it. That there's a lot of things that you don't see. I mean, if what you've seen is is effort, and 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 the then the lads have sort of worn their heart on their sleeve and had a genuine crack, then then uh, you're searching for specifics as as to where we need to get better or or, or what we need to do differently. So. There's always, there's always a grieving time after the loss. The game moves on, so you can't grieve for too long. But I also think you need to be uh, accurate in your analysis and, and not emotive uh, in your analysis. So I, I'd be a strong believer in, in, in encouraging people to um, support, you know, to, to get together, to you know, stick together. You know, oftentimes, you know, you know, the knives are coming after a loss. Uh, 
at the team, at the coaches, at the individuals. So it's important to hang tight to, to really uh, push that sort of family side of things. But then it's important to, to look at your game, our game, and everybody comes on Monday with some thoughts on, on, on what we did really well and, and what the shifts need to be. Because we need to be clinical in making those changes. And, and you, you can only do that if, if you know that the effort's been there. And, and, and I think for the most part, like we've always been an effort-based team. So there's not often that you, that you criticise the guys for, for not putting in there. Uh, yeah, we might have got our detail right. Um, but, yeah, for some reason, we might have been in the right headspace. We might have been tactically uh, right. So it's important to have a clear-headed, clear-headed analysis of those things and not, not, uh, not get into the, you know, get into the depths of depression about a loss because you've got to turn up on Monday, having analysed, uh, put it behind you, and start looking forward. Is that something that that very considered and reflective approach rather than being kind of emotionally driven in a moment, is that something that you feel like you as a coach have had for a long time within your coaching career? Or is it something that as you've grown in your experience in different settings and competitions has developed over time? Uh, no, I, I guess it's always been my nature. Like I, I've probably blown up at half time a few times, <laughs> but, but I, 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 really, I, I would never have blown up at the end of the game. Yeah. Uh, in in you know in the sheds, etc. That that sort of try and uh, my belief is is I think you know that's sort of players' time. Um, yeah, it's it's funny you look on TV and a lot a lot of players get criticised for for smiling after a loss or something like that. You know that it's people expect to see you know, your your jaw on the ground and your shoulders you know stooped and 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 woe is me. But, but again, you, you can't operate uh, on a basis like that, that, that everybody's disappointed to lose, but you've got to show a brave face, but, but trust that everybody goes back and, and looks at their game. And that, that's the key that your reflection in the moment, like, like you've, you've just got to move on. You've got to you know, wish the opposition well. You've got to congratulate them on their performance uh, and, then, and then do your work behind the scenes and, and, and show in your performance the next week. Uh, that, that you've, you've done the analysis, you've, you've found the, the areas of fix and you've gone about fixing them. Shifting ahead to the 2022 competition then, um, there's meant to be a trial match coming against the Waratahs on Saturday down in Barrel. Uh, what's the hot goss on that? Does it seem to still be going ahead? Oh, yeah. look, look, unless something uh, remarkable happens with COVID infections over the next week, that that'll definitely go ahead. So yeah, uh, I, I don't think... I, I, you know, I know that the... Yeah, there's the force drew a game, but that's that's mm. that's a border. That, you know, that's not an infection thing. That's a that's a border control thing with WA. So I don't think force don't want to be on the road for a month before the season starts. And and I, and, and I perfectly understand that, that yes. point of view. Uh, so we'll we'll be making the trip to Barrow. We're very much looking forward to to just getting hit out. Uh, and and I, I like the idea that we've got this game three weeks before the competition starts because we know we'll be caught short in particular areas, but we want to know what, what those areas are three weeks out, not one week out. Yep. And, um, you know, we haven't done a lot of, we haven't done a lot of live contact and those sorts of things. We, we've had our focus on other areas. So, um, you know, we're just hoping to, to go up, uh, be, be accountable to the things that we want to be accountable to and then, and then find the key areas of improvement. With the competition shifting now away from the AU um, and Aotearoa 
style from last year into a combined competition. Have you guys at the Brumby spoken specifically about particular goals for places or positions, or is it more about trying to make sure your performance and your process is right and then trusting in that to get you into the right places on a ladder that you would want to be in? Yeah, look, like, yeah, we, you know, we, we haven't sat down. We, we've got a two-day camp after the after the Waratahs trial. We're heading down to Berry for two days. And and we'll have some discussions there about, about what our season, uh, what we want our season to look like, what we want, how we want to present ourselves, what we, what we want our, our, our supporters to see when they see us play. So, so probably those things are ahead of us. But, but fundamentally, that, that we, we want to produce our game. Now, we, we're, we're making some, some fundamental changes to our game. I've already spoken around breakdown, around defence line speed, around, around we've got changes around our counter-attack, changes around our skill sets, changes around our, uh, our um, athletic performance are trying to be more dynamic and powerful. So, so they're the things we want to see. And if we can put those, all those things in place, then we'll, the process will guide us to where we want to go. That makes sense. And um, one of the fascinating things from an outsider's perspective is particularly looking at the recruitment process that the Brumbies have had this season because you've had some pretty interesting names uh, either come back to the fold in the case of Jesse Moog or join the fold like Chris Feuer-Sotia or Cam Clark. Um, as a Waratahs fan, I'm pretty sad that Cam Clark's gone back to the Brumbies rather than coming back to the Waratahs. Could have, could have done with another outside back at the Tars, I reckon. Um, but there's been, there's been some questions about why a player like Jesse Mogg would come back to the Brumbies when the kind of incumbent Wallabies uh, fullback, Tom Banks, is already there. Do you, would you mind speaking to maybe what you think has drawn players like Feyre Sotia, Clark, Mogg back to the Brumbies rather than maybe clubs they've played for previously or might get more game time at? Uh, yeah, look, look, again, part of our reflection on 2021 was not having uh, enough depth across the board. Um, you know, we, we had, we, we probably had a few guys in the squad that, that, that you might think were, were 12 to 24 months away from throwing out there. So I, I think we needed to create more depth and more experience. So if you look at us last year, you know, like Banksy played just about every minute of every mm. game. Lenny plays every minute of every game. Noah just about plays every minute of every game. I, I, you know, I, I don't think, you get to the end of the season and those guys are running on fumes. Um, it's a tough season. So you need depth, you need quality. Um, so to be able to get experienced players uh, to, to boost your depth so that you can, you know, and, and, and I don't think rotation is a dirty word. I, I think you need to be able to rotate players. I need, well, we looked at those those Kiwi sides you play, and they are bringing internationals off the bench. Mm. Like we are bringing 18-year-olds off the bench. We're bringing one-gamers off the bench. They are bringing 30, 40 test players off the bench. A huge difference when you get to the 50-minute mark, 60-minute mark. So we, we looked at that and said, well, we need, we need experience. We need quality. We need experience. We need the right balance of up-and-comers and guys who've been there and done that. And, and, and so that was, I, I guess, a part of the reason behind looking at Moggy, left foot as well, yeah. can play anywhere in the, you know, play, uh, you know, wing fullback. Um, you know, we, really, we really didn't have an adequate second 
full back. You had to throw Muir head back there, uh, etc. So, so it's a position we needed to fill. Uh, quality player, really experienced. He's 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 learnt more about the game over there, and 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 that creates a bit a, a, a quality training environment. If I look at a, a Chris uh, Sortia, you had a disappointing time in France. He's he's, he's been a, a a chronic injury every year, and we, we, he's too good a footballer to be not playing at, at this level. So again, we felt that we needed some boosting through the centers. Did we, did we need some boosting with an 18 year old who's got potential or again, a senior player who, if we, if we can manage him through a quality uh, return to play program, understand what his body can deliver. Like he's a great footballer. He's a natural footballer on both sides of the ball. So again, we get some, get some quality there and, I mean, what, what we like about Cam Clark is that he he's he just hunts the ball. He ends up in the right place at the right time. Like he's not he's quick. He's not a big man. He, he's he's got not nothing that you'd say is exceptional about him. Except I just reckon the ball falls for him on kick chase. He's right place, right time. He's Johnny on the yep. spot. He's yep. a great team man. All those things again. So so we know that we've got a starting fifteen and a backup eight. Total faith, and, and and that would extend to the squad. There's not one player in our squad that I wouldn't have total faith to go out and start a game of Super Rugby for us. I didn't have that same opinion last year, and I really felt that back in the games, Kiwi sides had us on toast mm-hmm. quality. So then with that excitement for the season that you so obviously have, um, we, we always love to hear about, maybe a bolter or a player that you that is going to have a breakout season which players are you really excited to see get a really good run in 2022 well, well I, I want to see all our players get a good <laughs> all run. of them <laughs> the entire squad <laughs> if, if i look at our open side for start you know we've got jerome brown we've got rory scott we've got luke rhymer now because uh brownie got injured last year the other two boys got good game time and that's that was I guess one of the benefits moving into 2022 is, is some guys got game time that they might have got otherwise. So yeah, Luke Rhyme got two or three starts in Trans-Tasman. Scotty got a, quite a few starts in both competitions. So they got to experience that and the understanding of, of then what this preseason needs to look like to make them better players for 2022. So I like competition. I like young Tom Hooper, mm. who's um, he's going to be competing for maybe that lockback row spot. Uh, a guy called Ed Kennedy, who, who's from Randwick, uh, been over at Scarlet for a couple of years. I, I think Ed is a, is a tremendous footballer. Um, uh, really, really understands the game, uh, just sort of marauds around the field. So I, I, I think Ed, again, you know, when you're looking at, at are you going to play Valentini every minute of every game? Are you going to play Samu? We've got guys there that, that you can put in for start and I think I think I'll really really deliver for you so I, I I like I just like that we've got good competition and good depth uh, in all those positions like Billy Pollard a lot of people talk about where us having three wallaby hookers we've actually got four quality hookers yep. but I think, uh, uh, you know and, and I'll be really interested to see where Billy goes he's had a couple of disrupted years with a with a, with a toe issue he seems we seem to have got over that now he's a bigger body he is uh is exceptionally powerful, so I'd, I'd be really keen to see how, how Bill goes. You know, he had he had a small exposure against Highlanders in the last round last year, so he, there's another guy that uh, that you can add to the list. Um, 
So there's yeah. there's Lawrence Ollie Sapsford. Yep. Again, I just he, he's a he's a bigger body. He's a, he's got a fantastic work ethic. Like all Kiwis, have got a great understanding of the game. So there's another guy that I, that I think yeah you know, played some good rugby on the wing and centres for Hawks Bay. So yeah, we've there's a few guys there that that probably haven't been names that haven't been registered at all on 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 people's radar who I, who I think can do some good things for us. Well, we actually had Billy Pollard mentioned by one of our fans who had a question for you. Um, Ryan got in touch on Twitter asking, well, how do you fit three Wallabies quality hookers into two spots? And let's add Billy Pollard onto that as a fourth. Um, and do you think there need to be more opportunities for contracted Australian players to get high-level game time throughout the year? Because when you consider it, you've got four incredibly high-quality hookers at the Brumbies, and they're going to be fighting for game time and minutes. But there's the, the super season compared to, say, top 14 um, compared to the English premiership is quite short. Should yeah. we be having something else like a revitalization of the NRC style competition um, for players to get more game yeah. time in? Well, the first question first, like, like with great difficulty, and, yeah. and it's, it's probably not sustainable for us. Like, like you'd think in the 2023 that, that we, we can't carry four, we, we won't be able to carry four contracted hookers. So that's going to be a decision uh, for the incoming head coach uh, to make the, uh, down the track. And, and uh, well, I think what we've got to do is we've got to give each of those players uh, the opportunity uh, to put their hand up. So that's, that's uh, Dan's issue this year yep. um, to, to, and to decide what, what, who the two, the two that get opportunity first, but then making sure that we give opportunity to the second point. Y yes, that, that there's not enough rugby played uh, for you guys who aren't in your starting 15 so we've been we've managed to organize maybe four a games in this early part of the season so that we've got a game against the waratahs uh but we might have a home and away against the waratahs and two games against the rebels so that's four a games but i, I think there needs to be a, a you know that obviously we need reds into that we need the force into that as well and i, mm. I think there needs to be an a program uh, but, but particularly in that first five or six weeks of competition when club rugby hasn't started. I know the ACT competition doesn't start till the last week in April. So that's uh, so if, the, if guys aren't playing in, in the game day 23, there's no club, club rugby for them to play. So we'd like to see, uh, like if you just had a, a, a five game, a, a four or five game program with all the other states, maybe a, a Druid team as well, would be fantastic at this time of the year. Mm. And then I, I think we need to find uh, a, a tour or some form of competition at the end of club rugby. So in, in, in that October period, so that October, uh, maybe that there's a month there or three weeks there. Is it, is it a, a, a US tour? Is it to Japan uh, where they're sort of heavily in the pre-season in that October, November period, maybe to get three or four games in that period. And that's obviously a financial uh, constraint as well, so we, we've got to we've got to find ways of number one who we can play and how we can fund uh, more game time because you, you'll get some guys who professionally might play or semi professionally two or three games in the calendar year, and yep. that's not getting you better. Yeah, and those options that you put forward actually seem uh, a lot more realistic or sustainable than trying to bring up an NRC competition with all the challenges that come in from a comp like that. This seems, it's, it's not doing the same thing as an NRC style comp, but it's at least providing an 
uh, a, a fix for it from a super rugby level because you're providing that just that step the players that aren't in the match day 23 of that regular game time at the beginning and end. I really like that, especially if they're touring tier two nations um, yeah. at the end of the year. That'd be a fantastic thing for some supporters to go and well, follow as well. You could head through Europe, you know, Uruguay, Paraguay, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Like there's some really good opportunities to play, but as I say, like we're 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 not flush with money. Yeah, yeah. And it's difficult. I also think there needs to be a comprehensive Australia A program. Um, I, I think it'd be nice to have a four or five game Australia A program, in, perhaps in that uh, July August mm. uh, period as well. I think to to again, there's a lot of guys spending a lot of time training uh, in the Wallaby environment, and that's been forced by by COVID bubbles, I guess. Uh, and and you know, I look at a guy like let's say an Andy Muirhead, uh, or whatever, spend months and months and months in camp, you know, not a single game of rugby yeah. uh, for, for months. So it, it, it can't. It, it, I know it's great to train in that environment, but you've got to play it, if not just for your mental health. Well, talking about that environment, have you noticed um, now that players like Alan Alatoa, um, uh, Darcy Swain as well, they're, they're coming back into the Brumbies preseason. Have you noticed that they're bringing back a bit more kind of Info a bit more IQ, especially having Dan McKellar being a forwards coach. Is is he giving us giving you guys a few kind of little cheat sheets or hints about opposition scrums, opposition lineouts, and what particular players might be bringing to the table that you'll go up against? I, I honestly don't think it's so much about that. I just think it's more that they do bring back confidence, mm. particularly the new guys. So if you look at a Nikita, you look at a Swain, you look at a uh, a, a Nos Lonigan, um, that. Not a, just a belief, but a, but a, a real understanding that they belong, that they belong, that they can play at the next level. So they bring back a confidence uh, in their own game. They bring back knowledge as well. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I watched Darcy in, in recent team meetings, and his his composure and presentation around line out attack and line out defence. He's just got better every year. So so a real confidence in their ability and their ability to perform for, perform for the team and. and yeah, that, that's half the battle is if you've got confidence, like if you're second guessing yourself, fuck, do, do I belong, don't, do I belong, don't I belong? Am I good enough? Aren't I good enough? Like these guys have clearly shown like a couple of wonderful victory, yes, some some dodgy but but brave performances against the French Renetic, two superb performances against the Argentinians, um, great performances or wins against the, the South Africans. So all those performances boost confidence, boost self-belief, uh, and, and that encourages them to throw yourself back into work. Um, you're more encouraged them to, to sh- as you say, to share information to make your teammates better. So I think that's the main work on. So it's not so much about intel on other players, and we'll do that as the season goes on, and, and we'll all bring our own skill set to that. Uh, and Dan, Dan will lead that exceptionally well, as he always does. But I just think that they bring a they bring a confidence and, and, a, and, a, and a slightly different aura now uh, to the group. Has Darcy returned, um, particularly after the French series as well, just with this confidence that whenever he's going into a mall, he's getting a turnover. He's just eating those malls for breakfast every time because he came up with a couple of huge steals throughout yeah. the international season. Yeah, look, I think I think uh, Darcy and and Caden Neville are, would be two of the best mall defenders in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a real appetite for it, and that's the starting point. Yep. The, the mauling game, attacking defence, is number one. Is about appetite. If you don't love it, you're not going to be good at it. He just looks angry every time. He's just like, 
forcing his way through with this like primal energy. It's awesome to watch. Yeah, it's superb to watch, isn't it? And it's superb. And not not everybody has that same passion for it. But 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 you know that's that's a niche important part of the game where where a bloke like Darcy and as I say, Caden's the same have enormous impact for us. We're hoping we don't have to defend so many malls in Super Rugby next year. Like we were poorly disciplined. We we gave away a lot of penalties. Uh, defending in our C zone and D zone allowed sides to go to corner and put a lot of heat on us. So if we could pick up on our on our onside disciplines uh, in our defence, again, I you know I think we'll be a far better team for that. Brilliant. Well, what we might do is, if you're all right, shift the conversation a little bit into some of your experiences as a coach overseas, Australian rugby, and then we'll kind of start to wrap things up for now. You've been more than generous with your time, mate. Um, so you've had time over as a forwards coach and head coach at Munster and Gloucester over in Europe. Um, how do you think you've taken those experiences and that growth as a person and a coach and brought it back into the Brumby setup for Australia? Uh, they're, both, they're two very, very different environments and obviously two very, very different roles. Uh, if I look at Munster first, which where I spent three seasons as forwards coach, and, and when I went there, the Munster pack was the island pack. I watched them play. I had a three-test series against New Zealand uh, in that June period before I went over there, and, and you're looking at, at uh, Hayes, Flannery, Horan, Callahan, O'Connell, uh, Wallace, Quinlan, and Dennis Leamy. So that was the island starting pack. Uh, and they were exceptional in the wet against, uh, they only just lost a couple of those tests. But they're all like experienced players at the back end of their careers or getting towards the back end of their careers. So that's, yeah, and, and th- that that was a real challenge is, is I guess, finding a way in. Uh, if you're a guy that's played 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 tests, yeah, what you do is probably pretty good. Yeah. So, yeah. so someone comes over and says, oh, well, yeah, we can do this or that. So, so I felt I had to, I wanted to listen first, tread gently. I, I felt they had technical improvements. I remember reading somewhere that, that you know, when you go in a new environment, like you're not, you, you might want to change 20 things, but pick one thing, which is the best bang for your buck. Otherwise you're going to put them all offside. And, and you know, so so I, I felt we had room to move just around our, our ball presentation and our clean out uh, ability to speed up our ruck ball. So, you know, so so that was what I tried to deliver on initially and, and try and, and and get them to to, to buy in. And look, great, great men, great club, and and one of the real things I learned from a couple of things I learned from Munster is is just the, the passion for the jersey. And the, and, the, and the passion for the province, like absolute, like driven by that. And, and you know, like winning, winning's massive. But I, I remember guys like uh, Paul O'Connor at a pregame, I think we were playing sale in, in Europe. Uh, and, and he was just saying that, that for our own pride, we're just looking for a performance. Like he's not saying we've got to win, we've got to win. We have to, we have to put out a performance. And by that, he just went physicality, work rate, hard on your sleeve, just go, go, go. That's that's a performance for them. Not thinking about being clinical and technical. The performance is to show your supporters that you will empty the tank, you will bleed for that jersey. And when you come off the field, you've given everything you can. And, and, and day in, day out, 
Munster were driven by that. Yep. And 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 that was a fantastic thing to experience. And 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 yeah, a little bit of not so much fear of failure, but fear of letting down. Yeah, like Limerick is a quite a working class area. Fear of letting people down who don't have a lot of money, who spend it, coming to watch you play, have a few beers and cheer you on. And, and fear of, of, of not giving them everything that you possibly can. And I felt that was a really, really brilliant thing to be part of. They had well, great leadership. Great, uh, Connell, great leader. Uh, Ronan Agara, great leader. Uh, learned a lot off them about, about how they presented themselves amongst the group. Uh, but just a, a wonderful environment to play in. Quality players. And trying yeah. to trying to find a way to make a difference. Mate, just jumping in there, because it seems that um, that that passion and that pride for the performance, it seems to be something that the Brumbies for quite an extended period of time and the Reds for the last couple of years under Brad Thorne have really been able to kind of encapsulate and to have this real um, organisational drive towards that pride and a passion for the jersey and for the supporter base that you're playing for um i would guess that that is something intentional that you guys are communicating about and trying to reinforce on a regular basis with the squad absolutely absolutely that we've got to be we've got to be seen as not only seen to be but be an important part of the community that we want we, we want to represent the community and again not just on the rugby field that's, that's where we get a chance to express ourselves but in a whole range of other areas. But we haven't got guys who fly in, fly out, you know, like, like people put down roots here, uh, buy mm. houses, uh, become Canberrans. They might push off at other times, but, but to genuinely invest in this area as home and the place that you're representing. So you're representing yourself, your family and, and the Canberra and the region. And, and, and that needs to be a strong driving force because you, you, You've got to have a reason and, and, and uh, the people who, who support you and, and, and put their hard earned up a first and foremost should be front and centre about why you get out there and, uh, and give your all for the jersey. So it's definitely a, a strong part of our messaging. Looking forward then and to towards the uh, June internationals where England are coming out to play, you spent time as Gloucester's head coach. Um, do you see a particular um, advantage that the Premiership provides players over what Super Rugby does? I mean, traditionally, the Premiership would be defined as something that's a little bit more rugged. They have more extremes of weather in terms of wet weather and snow, and at times you're playing in those horrible conditions. Um, do you think that there's going to be this real combative, gritty element to England's play just because of the nature of the Premiership? Well, they've got a lot of big, powerful men. And, you're, I mean, the, the Premiership sort of runs in three seasons, mm. sort of that um, you know, November, December period where, where the weather is nice and you're into a four- or five-month period where it could be quite uh, quite a slog through cold weather. And then you get into your into your finals period again and the, and the sun's on your back and the games open up. I mean, the, well, one thing that has changed over time, obviously, is the quality of the pitches. So there's a lot yeah. of of 3G, 4G uh, hybrid pitches. So possibly, I think even Gloucester's gone to hybrid now. So there might yep. be, the wreck is still a grass pitch. Uh, but if you look at most other pitches now, that they're all hybrid. So, so that you, you never play in a heavy pitch. You might play in wet and windy conditions and cold, but the pitch is always 
in, in Great Nick. So that, yeah, that's changed from say 15 years ago when it might be just a slog on a boggy day. You know, it gets, so you still play footy. You yep. still play rugby. You, you know, you look at what Harlequins have delivered over the last uh, two years, um, the balance in an exit a game of, of being able to power through you in the A zone and, and, and play uh, to edges further out. Um, so it's, still, it's a competition now that allows you to play a number of different styles, which, which is what you learn over there. And then because you, you might be playing French teams and Italian teams and Welsh teams in, in Europe. So again, there are a lot of different styles. So I don't think they'll, they'll come down here with a power game. There's no doubt about that. But they'll also come, yet you look at that, you look at what they got in the backfield and, and uh, fitness levels that, that Eddie gets and two skill levels that they go to that they can play. That, that try that that fullback scored against the Wallabies yep. is as good a try as you see. Like, like, like one minute him and Johnny May are on that wing and honestly, Six, seven seconds later, you know, Johnny Hill's running a, a neg line there to hold Bobby Valentini. They're around the corner. These guys run a short line. Johnny's on an edge and bang, at fullback through the middle. Like that sort of work ethic to get from side to side, absolutely superb try uh, when you look at it in detail. So, so the premiership's got a lot of good things. They also, what I've, they heavily invest in academies. So yep. academies yep. are pretty much fully professional. So not only have they got yeah, like a, 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 each club will play something in the range of 40 games a year if you count A games, Premiership games, European games and, and, and Cup games. So you've, you've got 40, 42, 43 games. If you make finals, you might play closer to 50 games. So they've got deep, big squads, deep squads, fully professional academy, well-funded by, uh, by the RFU. So that's a lot, a lot, a lot of players. And, and, and look, I know they've got some internationals, some, some non-eligible players, but I know they, when I was over there, they heavily, you, you would get heavily funded if you kept your uh, match day squad to uh, a certain percentage of English qualified players. So they've got a lot of things in play to, to encourage you to, to play English qualified professionals, to drive your academies, to uh, develop locally, all those things. And we're really under-resourced here, you know, like, like yeah, like our academy, like, like our academy's folded for about seven or eight years for, for a period from about you know, the mid 2000s to for, for maybe six, seven, eight years, we, we didn't have academies at all uh, because the AAU cut funding and, and, the, and the clubs didn't have the funding. Yep. And even now we still run on a shoestring. Yep. Uh, so yeah, they've got great player depth, great competitions that they play in, all players are playing, Plenty of rugby, so that yeah, it's, that's surely a formula to be successful across the world. I know, and that whilst we tr do try and be positive, it's one of the challenging realities of the position of Australian rugby at the moment. Because I mean, you speak to the depth of the Premiership clubs and the advantage that that in a way that's kind of forced by the requirements of the salary cap and how um, players that are English qualified or um, are coming from the academy get credits, which uh, kind of don't count against the salary cap. Yeah. Um, and you also have then the growth of the top fourteen, the growth of the Japanese League One. I think is the the new name of the competition. Um, do you see really the hopefully upcoming World Cup in 2027, as well as the Lions Tour that we've got coming up as being really this these key moments of financial input that 
are just real markers, lines in the sand where things need to improve in a financial sense for the game in Australia. Otherwise, it might well be quite worrying times ahead. Well, definitely, we need to find a way of, of, uh, of generating investment, aren't we? And, and, and you know, there's obviously to always talk about privatisation. Like you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't want to build up a, a bank through the Lions and World Cup and then, and then lose it, I, I guess, as we did. So we've got to find sustainable income models. Like it's, it, it's not that easy. Um, uh, you know, we, we, we don't make a lot of money here. We don't get big crowds at Canberra Stadium. We haven't for years. And, it's, it's, and, and you know, we've been a winning team for a number of years now. So it, it's not just about performance. Um, you know, and obviously, talk of an indoor stadiums uh, gone off the boil here. I mean, Queensland got massively behind the Reds towards the back end of last season. You know, so the, you know, the almost full house sign on grand final night was, was absolutely magnificent. Mm. Um, and, and obviously the other, the other teams have, have all struggled for, for sustained uh, good supportership over the last few years. So, so that, that, that's certainly a, a battle. Um, I, I think... Also, I think one of the big battles is, and we spoke earlier about not enough game time for your, your younger players. But oftentimes, that's that's an incentive to go overseas. You, you might not lose your top. You, you might not lose your top end wallabies. You might not lose your top thirty. But but if I'm number twenty seven uh, or an academy player, and I don't see a pathway that I might head to Japan, I might head uh, to Europe or somewhere like that to get my opportunity. So so there's a danger. In, in, in losing some, some quality. And, and you, you look at your Cornelsons and some really good quality mm. Australian players who, who I presume left because they, uh, they didn't get recognised through the systems here originally. So we, we need to be very careful. We've got scarce resources, um, but yeah, we, we, don't, we don't have, a, have all these players on meat hooks that we can just, oh, no, he's, not, he's no good, you know, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to keep that love and development going and, 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 and give guys opportunity to, to flourish and to be a late developer and all those sorts of things. So uh, we, I think we've got to attack things very differently. Yeah, that all makes sense. Uh, what we might do is finish up with a couple of fan questions now. Um, we've already kind of answered Hugh Tyndall's question of what's under the bucket hat. So we'll we'll uh, keep going from there. Um, we've already answered Ryan's question about the hookers at the Brumbies. Nelson from Fantasy Draft Rugby asked, again, how's Pollard developing? And I guess the question I'd love to actually ask is, what does he offer that's different to the other hookers um, there? So I'm playing Gaha. Um, McInerney yeah. and Swanigan. I mean, Billy's had a tough two years with this, uh, with this sort of sesamoiditis in his toe. That seems to be an operation that seems to be resolved. So he's missed a lot of training time in the last two years. But like, like, like Billy's like a uh, a rugby league back rower. Like in his carry game, he's quick, he's powerful, he's got good feet. He's got offload at the line. So, yeah, I look at say, uh, the uh, Amur, I think, who plays for the Hurricanes, Cody Taylors, like they are athletes. And I think uh, Billy is a real athlete. He's also, again, he's, he's built up physically, he's strong in the middle of the scrum. He's still got some throwing finesse to work on, but he's, an athlete, he's a real athlete. You look at that guy who's playing for Leinster and Ireland now, uh, the, the hooker there. Can't think of his name offhand. Oh gosh, he's, yeah. he's quick. He's as quick as an outside back. Um, is it Kellaway? I'm not sure. I'm looking it up as we talk now. 
<laughs> Ronan Kelleher. Kelleher, Kelleher. Like, Kelleher. He's, he's as quick as a winger. Mm. He's as big as a hooker and quick as a winger. And is, is that the new breed? You know, you've also got someone else like Samsoni Takiaho, who's a big man, powerful uh, off the ruck there. So, um, but so, so if, you're not, if you're not 110, 115 kilos and powerful through, through the teeth of the gale, you've got to be, you've got to be a supreme athlete. And I think you know, Billy's got that potential in his athleticism. Yep, that's exciting. That's very exciting. Now, um, one of my co-hosts, Rev, couldn't be here, but he says that I'm, well, myself, I'm Ando, and Rev, we're both teachers. I'm a history teacher. He's a maths teacher. Um, from what I understand, your background from what you said earlier was PE teaching. Is that correct? That's what I taught for a decade at uh, Tilapia Park School here in Canberra. Oh, you legend. What a great gig that is. Um, so a lot of people within the kind of rugby sphere, like Eddie Jones, um, quite famously, was a headmaster as well before he got into rugby coaching too. Um, how important is it for you as a coach to be striking that balance between kind of teacher-student where you're trying to impart knowledge and grow them, as well as coach-player where you might need to be having those challenging and really difficult conversations in terms of uh, squad placement or even kind of contract negotiations, things like that. Um, but they're making sure as well that any lessons that you're communicating stick with the players because i mean that's a very complex dynamic that you're trying to work in there how does your teaching background assist you with that you're absolutely right and 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 the key point is is just because you said it doesn't mean that they yeah. understand it or <laughs> yep. something. And, and and you see that many 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 times over so so actually the the art of teaching yeah or the the art of learning the art of passing on information and then how you then continue to check whether whether the, the meaning is as you meant it to be, I think is a huge part of it. A lot of people say, well, I've said it, I've coached it, it's done. And, and, and realistically, that's, that's not the case at all. I'm constantly amazed uh, how interpretation varies so much mm -hmm. from person to person so that we, 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 don't all, we, we don't all hear the same things. So, so as a as a I guess a teaching background potentially enables you to recognise that. So then you're constantly able to, uh, again, we'll find different ways to send the same message, but also then to be constantly uh, rechecking that uh, message sent is message received yep. and then is message acted on. So, I mean, that's a really, really big part of coaching. It's not just running a drill and off you go. And then you're right, it's a balance between cracking a whip and 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 look, I'm a, on the field. I'd, I'd be vocal, uh, but but then finding ways to individualise your feedback away from training again. And everybody's going to accept it differently. What you want is you want guys who who feel comfortable in coming to you and and, and talking about an idea or reviewing training, etc. etc. So. Uh, it's, it's all that balance of, of being like, like you, can't, you can't be a tyrant as yep. you can't be at school. I, I don't think, you, I don't, it, it's about getting the best out of people. But, but, but education is about learning and behaviour change. And, and that's what you're chasing. So your constant cross-check is on, is there learning? Is there behaviour change? And if there's not, then you have to go down that path again. And I, I think teaching allows to do that. You're not just up the front of the class and you read for the manual and you write down notes and everybody knows it. They don't. Yep. And, and, and uh, so th that then is, is a way of obviously making progress in your environment. 
Well, mate, you've been more than generous with your time. So I think we might finish it there. Um, thank you so much. Best of luck for the season ahead. Uh, hopefully you'll be getting, I'll be getting down to Barrel on Saturday to come and cheer on both the Blues and the Brumbies. Well, Tars and Brumbies, because it's going to be a great hit out. Um, do you think we're going to see a close to full squad there for the Brumbies? Or are you going to give some of the uh, squad players a bit of game time? Yeah, like there's a number of the Wallabies that won't play. Um, I think probably eight or nine of them. We've probably got three or four injuries as well. So everybody will get good game time. But what right. what our intent is to is to mix. So we want to mix some senior players with young guys. We don't want to just go strong and then put all the young players together. So we've sort of got a bit of a mix and match uh, of, of senior and uh, junior players, a couple of academy guys. Um, which then gives everybody an opportunity to, to show what they've got. Well, mate, best of luck for that game and best of luck for the season ahead. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day. I really enjoyed the conversation, mate, and uh, come up and say good day, Dan and Barrel. Will do, mate. Catch up. All the best. Thanks again to the absolute legend, Lord Laurie Fisher, for coming onto the pod. Um, I think I was a little bit starstruck as we had that interview. So it was great to great to just hear from the experience and the wisdom that he can bring to the game of rugby. And now what you're going to get is our incredible insights after that into what the Brumbies <laughs> will be shaping up this season. I feel like a bit of a poser coming in after Lord Laurie, but... Either way, it's going to be a bit of fun. Um, so why don't we go with where the Brumbies finished in 2021? Well, they finished second in Super Rugby AU. They played 10 overall, won seven, lost three. And in the Super Rugby Trans-Tasman, played five, won one, lost four. So in the Super Rugby AU, it was a great season for them, except for the games against the Reds. And Rev, that must make you pretty happy. I mean, I feel very sorry for any Brumbies fan who had to sit through three performances where they were the better team <laughs> yeah. for, what, 230 of the 240 minutes. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I know we're in a bit of trouble this year when we face them because they want revenge, but otherwise, uh, yeah, very happy as a Reds fan. Yeah, they were, and I mentioned it when we did the Reds um, preview as well, but they were just three of the best games that you can watch in Super Rugby, um, Australian, Australian Super Rugby. So make sure you go and watch that that watched them back on stand. There were incredible matches that would went down to the wire every single time. But again, the narrative was the pantsing that Australian teams had by the Kiwis in a Trans-Tasman competition. And they will be incredibly disappointed by the nature of some of their defeats in Trans-Tasman. So why don't we just quickly fly through some of the ins and outs of the uh, Brumbies and we'll then get into a bit more detail about some of the big signings or big losses. So coming in, Safo Kautai, um, Fred Cahia, Ed Kennedy, Rod Iona, Hudson Crichton, Chris Feo Sotia, Ollie Sapsford, Cam Clark and Jesse Mogg. Uh, Mitch, who are you particularly excited about for the incomings for the Brumbies? Yeah, I think Chris Feo Sotia is a great signing for them. Uh, he's one of those players that just has such a unique skill set and will add something that they don't already have he's got a different skill set to the to the current wingers that they already have there so you ahead and right um i think cam clark's a great signing as well as is jesse mogg but it's just it's puzzling that these kinds of players like that would be a formidable back three for any super rugby side yet they're coming into a team that's already got established wallabies wallaby allocated back like positions in those positions so 
it doesn't make a whole lot of sense why these players would be coming here because they're not going to get a whole lot of game time. And that's really the big question. I mean, why when you've got Tom Banks, Tom Wright and Andy Muirhead as three players who are either starting Wallabies or within the Wallabies squad for 2021, would Cam Clark be returning to the Brumbies? Why didn't he go to the uh, Waratahs? He'd almost be a nailed-on starter at the Waratahs as opposed to the Brumbies. And Jesse Moggs returned to the Brumbies. I understand a bit more because he was a bit of a cult figure down there before he went overseas. But even then, he's going up against the Wallabies incumbent fullback. And now I know that Tom Banks has a raft of haters that will travel anywhere across the world to decry him and put their opinions out there. But he's a good player. And he's the Wallabies incumbent fullback. So you're still having to push him out of position. Rev, what do you think about some of the, about those two players in particular and anybody else that's come in that you're particularly excited by? It was one of the big question marks over the Brumbies is they've got awesome players coming in, but it doesn't make much sense because as good as these players are, I think they'd start at at least three of the other Super Rugby sides. So uh, not, yet not I don't the Reds. Them... Well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> They're not Reds players, so they wouldn't start at the Reds. It's a hey, simple. Yeah, you fail away. So it was, <laughs> and he anyway, he wasn't on. starting. He, you know, yeah. If you can't, um, but yeah, I think it's been covered. These guys are so talented, but I don't see any of them immediately pushing for a starting jersey, other than maybe uh, Jesse Mogg if they see him as a right wing, maybe giving some competition for Andy Muirhead. But it's going to be really challenging. Uh, to me, I think the inclusion that's the most vital to the team. Um, is Rodney Iona, and not because I think he brings anything you know that we haven't seen before. I think just because, um, as we'll get to with the losses, they're pretty light on with the fly halves at the moment. And if there was an injury to Lolas here, which did happen in 2020, you do need someone to step up. And he's, I think, about 30 or so. He's played a bit of Super Rugby before. He's been in the NRC. He's travelled a bit. So he'll be, um, while maybe not as exciting, a very, very capable step in. Brilliant. And I think that that leads us really well into some of the major losses that they've had. So players that have gone out are Bailey Kunzel, Isaac Fines, Leo Wasser and Rishan Pasatoa all heading over, actually Ristapine and Harry Lloyd all going to the force, which is just huge. Um, James Tucker, Mac Hansen, Archer Holes and Solomone Cutter. So there are some really, really significant players that they've lost. I, I think um, we'll get into the conversation around kind of Kunzel, Fainte, Leo Wasser and Pasatoa in a sec. For me, Solomone Cutter's loss is quite significant because he was a back three player that they did not have another player in the same mold of and they haven't replaced either. So he's that damaging, bruising, physical winger, kind of like a Marika Corombete in the physicality that he brings to that outside back position. But they haven't replaced him really at all um, in that particular skill set that he brings. Now... Uh, I would argue that Chris Fayway Sortia is in that mould. Maybe not the same big body uh, that Qatar is. But uh, Solomoni was there, the Brumbies, for about two or so years. And he never really made that 14 or jersey his own. He was in and out. He, He was a great player and he had a great highlights reel. But he just... I think he struggled a little bit with the uh, transition from league back into union. Um, and I don't know if there was some personal issues as well that he wasn't fitting into Canberra or whatever, but he's gone across to Moana Pacifica and I think that's a much better fit for him as a as an individual. And I think we'll see a lot more from him in an environment like that. Um, and yeah, as you said, he was a different type of player to Tom Banks, Tom Wright and Andy Muirhead. Bigger build, 
more abrasive type player, not as not as uh, depth with ball in hand. But I, I would say that if we were to be looking for his replacement, that's probably why they signed a player like Chris Fayways or Dio. Yeah, I mean, we need to remember that he had um, some ongoing injury issues throughout mm. 2021 that kind of kept him out of the team. Um, and then Andy Muirhead was in pretty good form as well as Tom Banks. So there was a lot of um, tight competition for that, those 11 yeah. 14 jerseys. Uh, Rev, heading back to the kind of key players or the key losses in kind of the cent- the fly half and scrum half stocks, do you agree with the decision that those players have made to head over to the force? Do you think that that, that is a good developmental opportunity, considering that Dan McKellar is the assistant Wallabies coach and would have had a direct eye over them for the entirety of the season? I think it's really tough because obviously the Brumbies are a better team than the force on paper and as evidenced last year. So you kind of want to be in the winning team, but at the same time, Isaac Fines isn't going to usurp Nick White and Ryan Lonigan. I mean, no one usurps Ryan Lonigan. I think that's made for damn sure on this podcast, but um, <laughs> thank I, you. That's why we keep you here. The other issue for Pasatara and um, Kunzo leaving I think they know that Lolasio and Simone both have Wallabies caps and Wallabies caps under Rennie. Importantly, they are quite recently um, capped by Dave Rennie. So they see that opportunity at the force as being, well, they do have McIntyre who's experienced. They do have Godwin and Kahui that are experienced. And while those two center options are capped, um, they've not been capped under Rennie and Kahui is not eligible for the Wallabies. So I do think it just makes sense if they want to play for the Wallabies, they will get more game time, more opportunity, and hopefully a better look in at the force. So it's a shame to see them leave, but I do think it's a smart option, especially for Pasatoa, just because he, you know, has been touted as the real deal for so long. Um, it's hard to be the real deal if you're getting, you know, two to eight minutes off the bench. And it's always funny too when a player leaves a team like the Brumbies, who is who have been doing so well for the last few years to get more game time and hopefully push for the Wallabies. And they've unfortunately gone to the Western Force, who for the last two years, have had the least representation in the Wallabies squad, and um, it's going to be quite hard for them to really... They'll they'll have to play ridiculously well and probably better than if they could have probably played for the Waratahs or the Rebels over on the Eastern Coast and not played as well if and get selected for the Wallabies. It's just so much harder to get selected from the Western Force. Yeah, I think there's also the point of view that all these players are really not in contention for the 2023 World Cup. Um, if, if we're being totally honest, if we're not, I, I have the opinion that we're not going to see any major bolters for the 2023 World Cup squad. I think we could probably pick the touring squad now and be accurate within two to three players. Um, what these guys need to be doing is solidifying their starting places in the Western Force team over the coming kind of 12 to 18 months and then be building for the next, well, the 2027 World Cup after that that's the one that they should be targeting. And by that point, they should be players with kind of 70, 80 super rugby caps. And hopefully between, uh, by that time, maybe 20 to 30 Wallabies caps. Um, And actually more than that. So I think that they need to be building for the future. And so to then kind of answer my own question, I think that that move is a long-term good decision for them. Um, So we'll see how that pans out. Hopefully they remain injury-free and hopefully, particularly Rishan Pasatoa, and in my opinion, Fines Aliwasa could be pushing for those starting positions. But anyway, let's get back to the Brumbies because we uh, are meant to be talking about the Brumbies. Uh, let's just go talk about some of the key players or positions for 2022. Rev, who is a key player or what is one of the key positions you think for the Brumbies in 2022? 
I think the key position for me is open side flanker. Um, this has been exaggerated a little bit with, obviously, Pocock um, was there stalwart for ages. They had George Smith before. They had Michael Hooper for a spell. Like The Brumbies have always had a really good seven. But with losing Will Miller um, to retirement again and uh, Tom Cusack as well, two solid, if not you know spectacular, uh, open side flankers, it's a really important position for, I think, Jerome Brown probably to initially nail down. He's got the age. He's only got 18 super caps. Rory Scott's really exciting, but he's, I think, 19 and has uh, eight super caps. Luke Rhymer's similar position, a little bit older, but not many caps. No one's experienced in the seven jersey, but they've got three exciting options. They need someone to really nail that down um, from the get-go because the Brumbies team on paper is so ridiculously strong. They've got depth everywhere. We've covered like the instant losses and how like these superstars won't get um, starting positions. But seven's the one spot that I think they probably still need someone to really step in and just claim that early. Yep, completely agreed. Let's throw that across to Mitch. Yeah, I'm worried around their fly, uh, halfback position. Uh, sorry, I'm looking at the word halfback, but I meant fly half. <laughs> fly half position. So Noel Alessio and Rod Iono are the only two players listed in the team sheet as fly halves. And we saw last year when Noel Alessio gets an injury, they don't really have a backup at the moment. Noah in of himself is a young, inexperienced number 10 who's really still learning his craft there. Um, should Noah get an injury, and hopefully he doesn't, but if he does get an injury and a significant one that sees him out of the uh, Super Rugby for quite a few weeks, then Rod Iona has a handful of caps to his name. He's been in and out of Super Rugby squads for the last few years and just sort of one of those journeymen that played a bit of shoot shield, won a title with Gordon and uh, has done well to get a full-time contract this year but hasn't got a whole lot of experience either. So he's not the kind of player who's going to come in and solve the problem. What do you do then? Do you then look at potentially shifting a player like Ira Simone into 10 or Lenny Kitao closer into this from the centres? Like It's going to completely shuffle around that back line which could have major repercussions for the way that the Brumbies want to play and how they uh, their, their cohesion moves on in the later half of that season. Yeah, that's a really good call. Um, a player for positive reasons that I think is going to be incredibly significant for them is Lenny Ikitao, just because he is becoming one of my favourite Australian rugby players, just in terms of the quality and the consistency of the game that he brings, plus the sheer kind of youthful joy and exuberance that he so blatantly and obviously displays every time he plays. Uh, he had a breakout 2021, was a mainstay outside centre for the Wallabies, and his defensive reads were just incredible, along with getting a brace of tries and a couple of great attacking involvements throughout the Wallaby season too. I'm just really excited for him to have another full um, Super Rugby season and to try and step up his game, particularly against the Kiwi teams as well. So we've seen what he can do really effectively against the Australian teams, hopefully in the latter half of the season, as we get to hopefully playing the Kiwis, that that situation, he'll be able to step up into those roles or that level of competition as well. Um, a player that I also really want to see kind of step on in 2022 is Tom Banks. And it seems that I'm a bit of a sucker for players who cop a lot of crap from 
pundits out there. Much like my love for Alex Newsom at the Waratahs, I think Tom Banks is unfairly targeted by Australian rugby fans. Oh, and he please. is You can't even coming. like you can't even no, sure, say sure. that Let name. Me finish and... my comment. Let me finish my comment. <laughs> um I just think that he has a whole host of attacking skills and um, qualities which are really, really valuable to Australian rugby. And I want to see him be able to show the, the impact that he has on Super Rugby team for the Wallabies. And obviously to perform at a Wallabies level, you need to be doing it at Super Rugby too. So I wanted to have another excellent season and to kind of nail down that Wallabies 15 jersey in 2022 because I think that he is a very, very capable player. He's got stiff competition with Reese Hodge as well for 15 at the Wallabies, but I think that Tom Banks has a few things that he brings that are a bit different to Reese Hodge. Okay. Question okay. for you guys. Do you know where Tom? what happened to Tom Cusack? I thought he just retired. I think he... Um, Did he retire? Was, yeah. Long Why is he not listed as an out? <laughs> oh, yeah. We didn't write his name down. Um, I think he's listed on the uh, wiki page. Is he? Okay. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Anyway, I'm just. I was out. just thinking about his infamous game in SCG last year, where he got those two yellows, and yep. yeah, what I wonder what happened to him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Um, now we've spoken about some of the key players or positions. Let's shift now to our predicted finish in 2022 and number of wins. So, Mitch, I'll throw this one to you. Where do you think the Brumbies are going to finish? How many wins do you think they'll have? I've got them listed at sixth, so I think they'll make the playoffs. I think that they will be the second highest Australian team. I had the Reds in fourth. Thank you. I think that <laughs> the Reds were able to win both of their games, or three of their games last year, and I think that's going to be a big motivator for the Brumbies to sort of take that victory back this year. But I think that this Reds team is a little bit more settled than this Brumbies team this year, and uh, I'm just liking the look of them a little bit better personally. So uh, I'm going to say Brumby's in six and I'll go with five or six wins. Oh, it's got to be six if they're finishing six. I'll just say that. Does it have to? I don't know how the, the wins work. <laughs> Mathematically, I think it'll have to. Doesn't? Okay. Mathematically, there we go. Have to be six, six then. Um, okay, Rev, over to you. Uh, I've got them at fourth. I think um, they'll be the best place of the Aussie teams. I, it pains me to say as a Reds fan because... You know, Rev. we saw Ouch. what they did last year, but <laughs> yeah, sorry, Mitch. Uh, it must hurt the most as the freshest Reds uh, fan. Yeah. Like, you know, you're the <laughs> newest in, so the cuts hurt deep at the That's moment. That's right. But it's, um, it, it's tough because the Reds have the better cohesion just in the sense that they have the least changes to the squads, as we touched on. But the Brumbies, I think, when you look at the options they have in the bench and the options that are outside the 23, those options excite me. And in a 14... Um, I guess, game competition, especially when there's only one bye week. There's not a lot of chance to rest. I am concerned that if there's a few injuries creeping into the red side, it's going to be really hard to try and um, match it with the Brumbies. And for the Brumbies, I see them probably getting around, uh, I think it would be around nine wins if they're finishing fourth. Um, just I see them probably being able to get out of the eight games in the Australian Conference. I think they can probably beat everyone except maybe one against the Reds. Um, it'll be how they go against New Zealand sides. And I'm not expecting more than two um, wins against those sides. If they get three, that's awesome. But clearly from Trans-Tasman last year, it's going to be a massive mountain to climb. For me, I'm picking them at a roundabout. I'm going to split the difference and go fourth or fifth. Um, I think that the, it's so hard to split the Reds and the Brumbies within the Australian Conference this season. Um, 
and we can talk about the continuity or the overall kind of squad list cohesion between that the Reds have, but the Brumbies just have so much more experience within key positions and they they as a team have been more consistent over the last two or three years and there's a lot to be said for that organisational consistency as well. So um, I think that the Brumbies might just shave in ahead of the Reds, uh, but it's going to be close and it wouldn't surprise me either way. And we'd be looking at about eight or nine wins. So it looks like um, there's the only one of us in the podcast who's going to get their picks right this year, and I'm I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now let's shift across to predicted numbers of inclusions within the Wallaby squad. Um, so, I mean, there's been a lot of chat about the Brumbies bias within the Wallaby selections. Whether that's true or false is probably dependent on whether you live in ACT or not. But <laughs> one of the... Uh, actually, why don't we just jump into it? Mitch, how many Wallabies do you think will be coming from the Brumbies this season? So what is the... What's the number that they officially name first up? Is it 23 or 30, 32? 30, 32-man 30, squad, usually? Yeah, usually a 32, I think. So I'll go with 27. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty fair. <laughs> I, uh, I reckon if you're playing fourth grade uh, subbies rugby in Canberra this year and the halfback does his hammy, you've pretty much got a chance to play for the Wallabies. <laughs> How things are going. Though. No, um, in all seriousness, I think they're probably looking at 12, 12 or 13. Yeah, that's a pretty good call. I'm just looking through the list now. Six, eight, nine... Ryan Orn are going to be in there. That's 10. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm probably going to be picking about 13 or 14. Mm. Um, and I feel like I'm not even being biased in those decisions either. Rev? And they'll all be the starting team. Well, it's like, <laughs> 1 to 14. I, I literally it's looked through the starting team and was just thinking, okay, who doesn't make it from the list? Yeah, uh, I've got the number at 12. I've got 11 of the starters plus Scott Sio um, as one of the other options for prop. But mm. It, it is funny because, like, now that we've done um, a few of these teams, you know, I'm starting to tally them together. Um, there's not going to be many coming from uh, Rebels or Force, in my opinion. So <laughs> I've, I've already allocated quite a few from Reds, Brumbies, and Waratahs. So uh, for those fans, uh, just know that I did all I could, but the Brumbies are just too stacked. So they're <laughs> going to get the ball from me. Good call. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for getting to this part of the pod. It has been an absolute pleasure to chat about Super Rugby Pacific and the incredibly talented team that the ACT Brumbies are. So looking forward to the start of the season, make sure you get involved and follow us on our usual social media platforms. And I can't wait for the rugby season to be kicking off on the 18th of February. So farewell, good night. Thanks for all the fish. Bye. Bye.